Okay, we'll turn with me in your Bible. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, and we are in verses 6 through 12. So we'll read uh, the passage, and then we'll begin our exposition this morning at uh, verse 9. So Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, there the word of Christ says this, For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord, asking for you to teach us, Lord, from your holy word. Lord, teach and show us today that, Lord, it is those who are faithful to you, Lord, who are obedient to you, who will experience your blessing. That, Lord, the blessed life is the obedient life. So, Lord, teach us, Lord, that this is what is most important. Lord, greater than anything else, Lord, greater than hoarding up and storing up our own treasures on earth, Lord, is when your people are obedient to you. And Lord, we pray that that faithfulness would be found among us and that, Lord, your blessing would reside upon this congregation, Lord, upon the families, that, Lord, you would pour it out upon us and that we would experience it, Lord, and test and try and know, Lord, that you are a God who rewards the righteous and you are a God who punishes the wicked. So, Lord, teach us these truths today that we might serve you with fear and trembling. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, we are in this passage where the prophet is rebuking the people for the sin of robbing from God, right? God has ordained that his worship and the ministry of his word, right, which these two things are inseparable. The worship of God and the word of God always go hand in hand together. It is impossible for people to worship God without the word of God being faithfully proclaimed. And when the word of God is faithfully proclaimed, there you will find people who are worshiping the Lord. God has ordained that the ministry of the word and his worship would be maintained and supported by the tithes and the contributions of the people, right? Everything that we have has been given to us by God, 100% of it. And then God requires that we give back to him 10% of what he has given to us, that we give to him a tithe. And God does this on purpose, right? He could withhold it from the beginning, but he doesn't do it that way. He does it this way intentionally, to see and to test us to determine whether or not we love God more than our money. Right? No one can serve two masters. He will either love the one and hate the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Well, if someone blatantly transgresses this command of God to give a tithe of all that he has to the Lord, 
If he fails to do that, then it is clear proof that that man loves his money more than he loves his God. That money is his true master. Money is his true Lord. That he does not know Christ and that Christ does not love and know him. So giving is an issue of salvation. It is an issue of eternal life and eternal death. We cannot practice any sin and be a Christian. We cannot disobey the clear commands of Christ and expect to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It says in Colossians 3 verse 5, Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. There he calls covetousness idolatry. The one who covets has money, possessions, earthly riches as his God. And he says here, on account of these things, these sins, including covetousness, the wrath of God is coming. Right? God's wrath is coming and is going to be poured out upon covetous, greedy people. And what is it to covet? But to have an inordinate desire for possessions. To desire that which belongs to another. Well, according to this passage, the tithe belongs to the Lord. It is His possession. Yet the one who withholds and keeps back by fraud the tithe is coveting what belongs to another, namely what belongs to the Lord. And that is what is taking place in the days of Malachi. They're defrauding God of what is His due, and this is why God is not pleased with them. How can a man rob God and expect God to bless him? How can he rob God and not think that God's wrath is not coming for him? Well, this is also commonly practiced in our own day as well. Commonly practiced, not among pagans, right, but amongst the Christians. In the Christian churches, there are very few people who are giving a tithe to the Lord, right? Most Christians don't do this. Weekly, monthly, yearly. They are stealing from God year after year after year, and then expecting God to bless them and welcome them into the kingdom of heaven. We can't do these things. So last week, we examined the sin, what it is to rob from God by defrauding Him of the tithes and offerings that He requires. This week, we will see what is the result of sin, right? What happens when we sin against God, and then what will happen when we're faithful to God? So let's go back to Malachi chapter 3, and we'll pick up today at verse 9. Malachi chapter 3, verse 9 says, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Here, God pronounces a curse upon them. A curse, you are cursed, he says, with a curse. And it's for the whole nation. Because collectively, what is generally true of all of the people is that they are robbing from God. So this was a common sin that was being practiced in the day of Malachi. And we know that sin always brings the curse of God. Right? This is a principle that is found in Scripture. Obedience to God leads to blessing. Sin, disobedience leads to cursing. This is something that everyone should know and understand. Right? This is something that we should know by nature. Right? This concept is taught to us right, even in our childhood. If we disobey our parents, then we are punished. And if we obey our parents we are rewarded. 
right? Typically speaking, in the normal home, even in unbelieving homes, an obedient son is not cursed and ridiculed by his parents. But an obedient son is endeared to his parents. His parents love him. His parents praise him. His parents speak well of him to many others. It is the disobedient son who exasperates his parents. He makes life bitter for them, and they do not praise him, but his disobedience is punished because of what he's done. Also, we understand this in society, right? Generally speaking, right? Though not always, but generally it is true that the ruling authorities praise and reward good behavior, and they condemn and they punish bad behavior. As it says in Romans 13, that rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Rulers, again, generally speaking, they don't terrorize good conduct. If we're being good citizens, if we're obeying the laws of the land, then we're not going to face their wrath and their judgment. But it is when we disobey good moral laws that we come under their wrath and their condemnation. So this moral principle is at work in this present world because this world has been founded by the Lord. Right? And though it is not perfectly seen, though it's not consistently applied, yet it is still at work in the world today, and it is a reflection of the way that God operates. We know then implicitly that disobedience in the home, disobedience in society deserves a punishment, and we know that obedience deserves a reward. Well, what do you think God is going to do to those who rob from him? Is God going to sit idly by while this great sin is being committed against him? Is God asleep? Does God not know what's going on? Is God not going to rouse himself to punish those who commit such an egregious transgression against him? If one of your children snuck into your room, got into your purse or into your wallet, and you caught them stealing money from you, are you going to tolerate that? Are you not going to punish them? Are you not going to be disappointed with them? Are you just going to let that slide and say and do nothing to that child? Of course not. Of course we're going to be upset. We're going to do something about it. We'll be very upset and we will punish them. There will be consequences for a child who behaves in that way. Right? What about defrauding the government? What if you're withholding your taxes and the IRS audits you and finds out and discovers that you've shorted them, you've failed to pay $10,000? Is the IRS going to let that go? Right? Is the government not going to come and get what is owed to them? Of course not. Right? They're going to exact it with penalties. Right? With penalties. And if you cannot pay them, they'll confiscate your goods. They'll sell your home. They'll seize your bank account. They'll empty your retirement account. Whatever it takes, they're going to get what is owed to them, whether you like it or not. Well, if a man robs from God, is God not able to get what he is owed? Can God not take what is his due from us either willingly or unwillingly? God will get what he has coming. What is his right? What is his due? What he is owed? He will get it. He can't take it. He's not going to let it slide. Right? He's not going to just sweep it under the rug. We cannot think that we can steal from God and expect there to be no consequences. For if God does not curse and punish sin, then God would not be true to his own character and nature. 
He would be denying himself because God is a God who has sworn to us in the Holy Scriptures that he will curse those who sin against him. Numbers 32. Numbers chapter 32 Numbers 32 and verse 23 says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Here, if you sin against God, he says, Be sure, be certain, right? This is a guarantee. Your sin will find you out. In due time, there will be consequences. There will be punishment for your sin. It may happen immediately. It may not happen immediately. But you can know for certain that your sin will find you out. Also in Galatians chapter 6, it says, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. We will reap what we sow. Well, if a man sows sin, what will he reap from God? He will reap the curses of God. They will come upon him. Well, that's what he's saying here to the people in Malachi's generation. You are cursed with a curse. You're sinning against me. You're committing these flagrant sins against me. Therefore, I'm cursing you with a curse because this is what you people deserve. Notice a couple of examples. Genesis 42, that this truth, this concept, is known and understood, that there is punishment because of sin. Genesis 42, verse 21. Genesis 42, 21. This is Joseph's brothers. Whenever Joseph, they don't know it's him, and he's testing them, and making things very difficult for them, right, when they come to Egypt. Genesis 42, 21. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there has come a reckoning for his blood. They're the brothers, even though this is many years later, they're seeing and they're saying, the reason all this is happening to us, all this distress, is because of what we did to our brother. We did that to him many years ago, and now the chickens have come home to roost. Right now, God is requiring a reckoning for his blood in that what is happening to us. Also, chapter 44. Genesis chapter 44 Genesis 44, verse 14. Genesis 44, 14. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is that that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servant. Behold, we are the Lord's servant, both we and also, uh, also in whose hands the cup has been found. 
there he says and states, God has found out the guilt of your servants. God has found out our guilt, and this is why these horrible things are happening to us. This is why we're coming under such difficulty and such hardship is because the guilt of our sin has been found. Also, one last passage, Jonah chapter 1, Jonah chapter 1, verse 7. Jonah 1, verse 7. Then they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. These aren't even Christians. These aren't believers. Yet they understand that this evil that has come upon them right, is the result of someone's sin. Someone has done something, and this is why these bad things are happening to us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? He said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. What have you done, they say? Right? You've brought this calamity upon all of us because of your sin. Right? They know and understand that sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. Well, this is because this is how God operates in this present world. God blesses obedience and he curses disobedience. This is a certainty. It is a scriptural truth. It will always prove true. It may not prove itself true immediately. It may not be immediately evident, but we can be for certain and we can be sure that in due time, those who obey God will be blessed by the Lord and those who disobey God, they will be cursed by God. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26. Deuteronomy eleven twenty six says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandment of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I command you today to go after other gods that you have not known. There, I set before you blessing and cursing. Blessing if you obey, curses if you disobey and turn aside from the things of God. Well, what are they doing here? They are disobeying God by robbing from God. So as God promised, he is cursing them. Now, when we hear curse, you are cursed with a curse. In what way? What does he mean? In what way are people cursed by God? Well, the curses of God are always twofold. Primarily and ultimately, they are spiritual. Spiritual curses but also physical and temporal. God curses men both in this life and in the life to come. He blesses men both in this life and in the life to come. Here they are experiencing the curse of God. First, that curse is spiritual. Right? When people do not tithe, then the funds necessary to support and sustain the ministry of the word, they're dried up. They're not there. There's nothing there. The teachers of the Bible are not supported. Then they are forced to forsake the ministry of the word, and they have to go to the fields, 
They have to go to the factories. They have to go to the office buildings. Otherwise, they and their families will starve to death. And when this happens, who ultimately suffers? It's the people. Because without the preaching of the word of God, how are we going to have faith? How are we going to have repentance? How will we have the spiritual blessings of God apart from the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word? How are men going to be saved? How are their children going to be saved? How are they going to know how to live a life pleasing to God without a teacher who is there to guide them? This is as it says in Acts chapter 8, verses 30 and 31. When Philip came up to the Ethiopian eunuch, he asked him, Do you understand what you are reading? And what was his response? How can I unless someone guides me? Unless someone teaches me, unless someone interprets it for me, how can I understand it? God has ordained it in this way. God has ordained that we would receive substance in terms of our spiritual life, not only through reading the Bible, which we should do, but through the teaching of the Word of God. We need sound, consistent, reliable, clear, authoritative teaching of the Word of God week after week after week after week, and our spiritual livelihood, our spiritual lives, is dependent upon access to the clear, authoritative teaching of the Word of God. The spiritual blessings are based upon this. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 teaches this, a progression. A progression of all the things necessary, the conditions necessary, in order for there to be salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 5. It says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. <clears throat> for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. There, salvation, justification. He says, not being put to shame. The riches of God, right? God, he bestows his riches on all who call upon him. Salvation, justification, not being put to shame on the day of judgment, having the riches of God poured out upon you, all of these things come to a man when he calls upon the name of the Lord for salvation. But how can a person call upon the name of the Lord for salvation if he does not believe? And how can he believe if he has never heard? 
And how can he hear without a preacher coming and teaching him the gospel of Jesus Christ? And how can the preacher go and teach him that gospel if someone does not send him to him? Right? These spiritual blessings are contingent upon the preaching, right? the hearing of the word of Christ. Well, if the preachers and teachers are in the field, if they're in the factory, because the people are not supporting the ministry, then how are these spiritual blessings that come through the public teaching of the Bible, how are they going to be known and realized among the people? If they're not going to be there. And this is the foolishness of it all. Right? The one who robs from God, he's not hurting the Lord. Right? God already owns everything. Right? Who is he hurting? Right? He's hurting himself. He's cursing himself. He's cursing his own family, his wife, his children, his friends, his loved ones. Though oftentimes, the excuse that people give for not tithing is because they need to provide for their family. They need to care for their family. Well, does our family not have a soul as well as a body? Do they not have the need for the spiritual blessings of salvation to come upon them? You're actually destroying your family when you're not supporting the ministry of the word. You're, you're destroying them spiritually and eternally. Right? This is what we have to understand. The greatest curse that we can experience in this life is not loss of money. Right? It is not drought. It is not war. It is not poverty. It is not famine of food. But rather, the greatest curse that we can experience from God is a famine of the Word of God. When God's Word is not taught, when it is not being proclaimed, when it is not being held up among the people, then what are we going to do if there is no access to the Word of God? Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. This is what God says to them. Amos chapter 8. I said 5, but I meant 8. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Right? Wouldn't that be a miserable condition for there to be a famine of the word of God? Now, most people, they could care less. If they have a famine of food, then they would be upset. But if it's a famine of the word of God, they don't care because most people, all they care about is their belly. Their God is their belly. All they're thinking about is this present, earthly, temporal life. They're not thinking about the things to come. But not the righteous, right? Not the man of God. The man of God, what is on the forefront of his mind is the life to come. It is the heavenly life. It is that spiritual life. And he knows his spiritual life is contingent upon the word of God. Well, one of the conditions that leads to a realization of a famine of the word of the Lord is when there are no teachers. When the teachers disappear from among the people. If the teachers who labor in preaching and teaching are not able to survive, then they're going to be forced to turn to other forms of labor in order to survive, in order to provide for their families. And this is not a hypothetical. This happened in the Old Testament. Notice number... 
not Numbers, Nehemiah. Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah 13, verse 10. Notice here, Nehemiah 13, verse 10. It says, I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. Here, the portion. What is the portion that belongs to the Levite? It's the tithe. The tithe is not being given to the Levite or to the singers. These are those who are working in the temple, who are leading the people in the worship of God and are teaching the people the word of the Lord. Well, where are the Levites at? They're in their fields because there's, there's nothing there for them to be supported by. Now notice here, who does he confront on this? He doesn't confront the Levites. He confronts who? The officials. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed treasurers over the storehouses. Shelemiah the priest, Zedek the scribe, and Padiah the Levites, and their assistant Hanan, the son of Zakur, son of Mataneah. For they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. Here, how are the Levites who labor in the temple, how are they going to eat? How are they going to provide for their family if there's no food in the storehouse? If the storehouse is empty then they're going to have to leave the temple, leave the house of God, and go to the fields lest they starve to death. They are working in the temple. They are leading the worship of God among the people. They are the primary teachers of the Bible. And for the people who cherish the word of God, giving to them a tenth portion of their produce is not a big deal because they love the word of God. But people who have no regard for the word of God, they are the misers. They are the ones who will not do this. They will withhold it. They will keep it for themselves because all they care about is what? Their own comforts, their own pleasures, their own prosperity. As if we can't have a good life on 90% of our income. We can live a very comfortable life, especially where we live on 90% of our income. Malachi chapter 2. Remember Malachi chapter 2 verse 5 says, my covenant was with him, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Right, again, the primary function of the priests and Levites was teaching the Bible, giving the people instruction from the mouth of the Lord. This is a ministry that benefits the people, right? They're the ones that are enriched by this. So the people should reward the priests and the Levites for their work, right? For their labor. They are providing a spiritual blessing for the people. Therefore, the people should reciprocate by providing a material blessing 
for them. Right? If we have come to share in their spiritual blessings, we ought to be of service to them in material blessings, as it says in Romans chapter 15. Also, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 teaches this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1 says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are my seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake... Because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Right? This is the way it works. Those who labor in the temple get their earning, they get their living from the temple service. Right? This is how they are to be paid. Well, how does that come about? Through the tithe. Through the tithe that the people give, this is how the Levites and the priests, how they are sustained and how they earned their living. Accomplished in this way. So when a man fails to tithe as God requires of him, he is a double thief. He is stealing first from God, but then he's also stealing from the priest and the Levites. Stealing from God by withholding what God requires and then stealing from the minister by receiving the fruits of his labor, but failing to reward him as God requires, which is breaking the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, might, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When a person does not tithe as God calls him to, he is not loving God because he's disobeying him, he's defrauding God of what is his own, and he's not loving his neighbor because he's not supporting it the way that God calls him to do it. These are spiritual leeches. The leech has two daughters. Give, give. Give, give to me, but I never give to you or anyone else. Right? These people, and there are many of them in the churches, they're the biggest complainers typically that you'll find in the churches. They want all of the benefits of the ministry. They want it for free or they want it on the cheap. Right? They want the teaching, they want the prayers, right? If they have a question, they want to be able to call any time of the day and they want to be able to get an answer. 
If they get sick or in the hospital, who do they want to come visit them? They want the minister to come and visit them and pray for them. They want all the blessings, all the benefits of the ministry for free or for hardly nothing. And then if you say something to them about it, they will accuse the church and the ministers of only caring about money. When in reality, who's the one that cares about money? They are the ones who care about money. Also, they're big hypocrites. Because if they went and picked up their paycheck, and it was only half of what their employer said that he would give to them, or 30% of what their employer said that they would give to them, then what would they do? Well, they would be outraged. They would throw a big stink. And then we should say, well, do you just care about money? It's what is right. It is what is right. It is what is just and what is due. This is what they do to God. To God, first and foremost, and secondly, to the ministers of God who are there to be a blessing to the people. Is it no wonder then that God is cursing them? God is giving them a curse, a spiritual curse, a famine of the word of the Lord. So the curse is primarily spiritual, but not only is it spiritual and eternal, it is also physical and temporal, right? For when we rob God, when we neglect to support his worship and his word with our tithes and contributions, then God can curse us materially, physically in this present life. Haggai chapter one. Haggai, the book of Haggai, we're hitting all the minor prophets today. They're minor in their length, but not in their content. In their content, they are major. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. Notice what's happening here. This also is after the return from the Babylonian exile. Contemporary or similar to the time of Malachi. Haggai chapter 1 says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? While this house lies in ruin? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And as he and he who earns a wage does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build, the house, and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labor. All right, what's happening here? The people are busying themselves with their own affairs. Right? Not that there isn't a place to have houses, 
to work in the field, to do those things that are necessary for this present life, but not at the expense and not to the neglect of the spiritual things, of the worship of God, of the Word of God. But they're busying themselves only with their own affairs, and they care nothing for the worship of God. They care nothing for the ministry of God. And so what is God doing to them? He's cursing them, right? Though they are working, though they are working hard, they're sowing, but they're not reaping in proportion to what they have sown. They have money bags, but what do their money bags have in them? He says they have holes in them. So you put your money in and it falls right out to the ground. They bring it in, but God blows it away because they care only for their earthly interests. No one concerned about the things of God. No one concerned about the worship of God. They are not giving and working as God requires, so the Lord is taking from them. If they're not going to give it freely to the Lord, then He will take it by force. God will get what He is owed. He's going to get it one way or another. So then why don't we give it freely to God? Why not give it freely and joyfully to the Lord so that God does not have to exact it from us by force? Again, this is the problem with greedy, stingy men. They never give as God requires because they say they can't afford to do so, though typically that is a lie. It's one of the lame excuses that people use. They can't afford it. But do they consider that the reason they can't afford it is because God is cursing them? God is cursing them because of their disobedience. And wouldn't it be better to have to downsize and live in a smaller home? Wouldn't it be better to drive used cars, to not go on lavish vacations, to not eat out all the time, to eat peanut butter and jelly? Right? Who has a problem with that? Peanut butter and jelly, it's a great meal, right? Wouldn't it be better to do those things so that we can afford to give as God requires than to have all of these things and yet defraud from God? Do we want God to curse us and our families and our households or do we want God to bless us? Well, if we want the blessing of God, we must obey Him. We must be faithful to the Lord. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, we have an example of... Sacrificial, cheerful giving. The attitude that we should have in this extreme example. Luke 21, verse 1. says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance... But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Right? No one is as poor as this woman. Yet she outgave all of the rest. She gave more than 10%. She gave 100%. God only requires 10%. Yet she gave more than all the rest. All that she had to live on. Because she would not come to the temple of God she would not receive spiritual blessings from the Lord without showing her love for God and her appreciation of those things with her material blessings. This is the attitude that we have to have toward the word of God and toward the worship of God. Back to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Okay, this then, what, is, what should they do? How should they resolve, amend their ways? 
Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. What's the solution? Repentance. Repentance, which is not merely a change of mind, but a change of actions, right? We have to change what we are doing. They're not tithing. So he says, then start doing this. Bring your tithes and your contributions. And how much of your tithe? He says the full tithe, not a partial tithe, not one-fourth of a tithe, not half of it, not nine-tenths of it. He says, bring the full tithe, 100%, a full tenth to the Lord. He says, bring it into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Food for whom? Well, what did we read about earlier? Nehemiah 13. For those who are laboring in the temple of the Lord. Right? This is as we read, Nehemiah 13, 12. All of Judah brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. They brought what was required. They put it in the storehouse. The people, they go out, they work, they earn their living, they bring a tenth of what God gives to them into the storehouse where it is stored up and then it is distributed to the priests and to the Levites who are laboring in the house of the Lord. That's Nehemiah 13, 13. He set these men over this and it says their duty was to distribute to their brothers. From where? from the storehouse, from the grain, the oil, the wine, everything that is there, then they distribute to their brothers. So now, instead of the priests and Levites, each having to flee to his field, neglecting the things of God, now they are there in the temple, they're doing the ministry, they're benefiting the people, they're teaching them the word of God. Notice next, he says, Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. God is calling us to put him to the test. Now, this is not testing God in an evil and a sinful way. There are times when men test God and they do so in an evil, sinful, disbelieving, unbelieving way. Psalm 78, Psalm 78, here it cannot mean it in this way because God is the one commanding us to do it. And God does not command us to commit sins against him. Psalm 78, verse 17, says, Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger rose against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Here, their testing of God is coming from unbelief. They did not believe God, and therefore they put him to the test. And we can do this as well. When we sinfully put God to the test, 
We're not believing his word. We're not trusting in him, but we're demanding that God prove his love and his goodness for us by giving us what we demand right now, right? That's what they were doing in the wilderness. Give us food right now. We demand it. Do it. Do this miracle for us. But here the prophet, he's speaking of a testing of God that comes from faith, a righteous testing of God. And this is when the man of faith lives by faith, right? When we believe the word of God, we are testing, we are trying the word of God. We are seeing if God's promises will indeed come true so as to prove the truthfulness of what God has said, right? God gives to us certain promises in his word. He declares things about himself, about his way in the world, how he relates to men. He promises blessing for obedience and curses for disobedience, right? These are the things that God declares to be true. Well, when we live according to these truths, we are putting God to the test in the sense that we are going to live in light of these things so that we can see manifested in our own lives that these truths that God proclaims about himself are indeed true, that this is the way that God works. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, verse 8. Right? God is good whether we taste and see or not. But here God is calling us to taste and see. And then when we taste and see, it will be proven to us that what God declared about himself is indeed true, that he is good. Right? That's the sense in which he's saying it here. This is what he means. God has promised his blessing on those who obey him, on those who are faithful to him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So what should we do? We should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We should put God to the test by living according to that truth. And when we do that, it will be proven, it will be manifested in our own lives, in our own experiences, that what God declares to be true is indeed true. Every word of God will be proven and confirmed in our life when we are faithful to him. It will be manifested in our lives that God does indeed bless those who walk in his ways. The blessed life is the obedient life. That's what we sang this morning from Psalm 1. This truth we need to test and prove over and over and over and over again. And then what does God promise to do? He promises to open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Do we not want that blessing? Do we not want God? Doesn't that sound good? To have God open the windows of heaven and pour down heavenly blessings from heaven to earth down upon our head. Everyone says they want God to bless them. Everyone says that they want to have the blessing of God. Well, here, God is calling us to have that blessing. But we can only have it through obedience. We cannot have it in disobedience. But when we are obedient, we will receive the blessing of the Lord. The blessing will come to us from heaven itself down from God. Just as it is with the curses, so it is with the blessing. Primarily, these blessings are spiritual. They are heavenly blessings. This is why the man of God gives to the Lord. This is why the faithful will support the ministry of the word of God with his tithes and offerings. 
because he wants the word of God more than his daily bread. Right? Just as he will pay for his bread when he goes to Walmart, so he will also be glad to pay so that he can get the word of God, the ministry of the word, which we should clarify. Much of what is called ministry today in the churches is not ministry at all. It's a bunch of nonsense, right? Programs, gymnasiums, massive buildings, all of this type of stuff, right? This is not ministry. They present it as ministry, but it's not really ministry. We're talking about the teaching of the Bible, right? That's what we should desire. We should desire the Word of God. And this is what the true ministers will be doing. Clear, authoritative teaching of the Word of God. That is what the righteous man wants more than anything else. Because he knows his spiritual life is dependent upon it. His spiritual life, the blessed life, comes through the faithful preaching and teaching of the Word of God. He knows the salvation of his wife, the salvation of his children, the salvation of his grandchildren is contingent upon the preaching of the Word of God. So he will gladly exchange his earthly treasures, which he knows are going to be destroyed anyway. Right? Isn't that true? Isn't everything that we now possess ultimately going to be destroyed by fire on the day of judgment? So it's all going to be destroyed anyway. So if I can exchange what I know is going to be destroyed and what I know I can't take with me, and I can exchange this in this life for heavenly spiritual blessings, right? it's a no-brainer. Right? This is so easy for the man who has faith, for a spiritually-minded man, but not a worldly-minded man. A worldly-minded man, he can't imagine giving away his gold and silver in order to get the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 72 says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The law of your mouth, your word, God's word, is better to me. I like it more. I want it more than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now, who thinks in this way? Not unbelievers. Believers. The righteous. This is the attitude of the righteous man. Because God's word is more valuable to him than thousands of gold and silver pieces, he will gladly part with his gold and silver in order to get the word of God. And if a man is unwilling to part with his gold and silver for the word of God, then what conclusion can we draw than that he loves his gold and silver more than he loves the word of God? More than he loves his God. That gold and silver is more important to him than salvation, than faithfulness to God, than obedience, than heavenly spiritual riches, but not the righteous man. He will gladly give his gold and silver to support the ministry of the word. And again, the good part of all of this is when we do this, when we are faithful to God, in the end, who is the one who gets the blessing? Right? We are the ones who get the blessing. So even when we give to the Lord... God returns it back upon us, right? Just as it is with the curse, right? The stingy man who withholds the tithe receives the curse of the Lord, but that curse comes to him in part through his own actions, right? Through his own disobedience. His actions are what leads to the curse of the famine of the word of God. Well, so here also with the blessing. The generous man who gives as God commands his actions 
bring about the blessing of God. And yes, we are giving to the Lord, but then God gives back to us. And what we receive is far greater than what we give. So it's impossible for us to lose in this. We receive spiritual blessings that come from God through his holy word. And we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. So ultimately, we receive the spiritual. But also, God can and will grant to his people physical, material blessings because of their faithfulness. Malachi chapter 3, verse 11. Notice what he says he will do. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. If you are faithful, instead of God sending the devourer to devour their fields and devour the fruit of the vine, he's going to rebuke it, he's going to stop it, so that their fields are going to produce and their vines are going to be full of grapes. He's going to give to them physical, material prosperity as a result of their faithfulness. Genesis 24, verse 35. Genesis 24, verse 35. We understand that wealth and material blessings, they do come from God. They do come from God. Though with some people, they're used to destroy them. But when a righteous man receives wealth from the Lord, he must see that as a blessing that comes from God. Genesis 24, verse 35 says, The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. This is Abraham's servant speaking of his master Abraham. Right? God had greatly blessed him. Now, does he mean that God has only blessed Abraham physically and materially? No, of course not. The greatest blessing upon Abraham was his salvation. But also, in addition to that salvation, God blessed him and gave him flocks, herds, silver, gold, male and female slaves, camels, and donkeys. Also, Genesis 26, verse 12. Genesis 26, verse 12. says, And Isaac sowed in the land, and he reaped in that same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich, and he gained more and more until he became very wealthy. So there, Isaac sowed, and he reaped a hundredfold. And who did this for him? Well, it says the Lord. The Lord blessed him, and the Lord gave him riches so that he became very wealthy. Also, we think of righteous Job. He was blessed by God, right? And Satan knew and understood that his blessings, his material blessings, were given to him by God. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, verse 6, says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. 
but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. There he knew and understood God had blessed all the work of his hands. God blessed the work of the hand of Job, and this is why Job increased in the land. This is why he became what he was. Also, in Job chapter 42, we're pointing these out because we'll make a point concerning Job that we need to know and understand as well. Job's riches before his suffering were a blessing from God. His riches after his suffering were a blessing from God. But his deprivation of his riches was not because of his sin, but rather it was to test him. It was a test that came from God to prove that Job loved God, not for the riches he gave him, not for the material blessings. The reason Job served God was for the spiritual. And that's why whenever the physical was taken away, this is why he did not curse God and die. But he continued holding fast to his integrity, and though he did commit sins along the way, yet he still was an upright and a blameless and a righteous man. And he did not deny the faith, and he did not turn away from the Lord. Job 42 Verse 10 says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, and we prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all of his brothers and sisters, and all who had known him before, and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of his first daughter uh, Jemamia, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karin Hapuk. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughter. And the father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw sons and his son's sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. So there, the physical blessing came from God. Not only in terms of his possessions, but also in terms of his children and in terms of his long life. He lived a long life. All of these are blessings from the Lord. Now, again, in the case with Job, God blessed him with riches then God took it all away in order to test him, and then God blessed him again. And we know from Job that it was not because Job lacked faith that God took the riches away from him. It was because of his righteousness that God was going to test him and prove that Job worshipped and served the Lord not for physical material blessings, but ultimately for the spiritual blessings. So God can and God does grant wealth to his people but according to his will. He can give it to us, and he can take it away, and then he can give it again. Right? And again, this is the key. It's always according to the will of God. Right? God is not obligated to give to us riches, as some false teachers proclaim. Right? Many false teachers use this passage. They use it and abuse it. They misuse it to teach that if people give money to their ministry, right? to their ministry, Right? If you give money to my ministry, then it guarantees that God will give you more money. So if you give me $1,000, God's going to give you 10000 And if you give me 10000 then God's going to give you 100000 
And so these people will give to these ministries, but why are they giving to them? They're greedy givers. They're greedy givers because they're actually giving to themselves. They're mercenaries. They're doing it for the sake of money because they're covetous people. There are some who will even say that we can force God to bless us. That when we give, God is obligated. He's in our debt. He has to give to us wealth. This is evil and wicked, and we should not hold to it or teach it. God doesn't have to give us anything. But because of his graciousness, he does pour out his blessings upon his people. And those blessings can, according to the will of God, include material prosperity. He will give to us those types of things. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 25. Psalm 37, verse 25. It says, I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Here, the psalmist, in his experience, he was young, now he's old. Yet in all of his days, he has never seen it, that the righteous man was forsaken by God, and that his children were on the street corners begging for bread. But rather what he sees as the consistent practice is that the righteous are always lending generously to other people. They have such an abundance that they are lending generously to other people. And this is the way that we must be, right? This is how we must be. Why would God entrust more wealth to us if we're not faithful with what he's already given to us? And why would God entrust us with spiritual riches if we're not faithful with unrighteous mammon, with unrighteous wealth, right? These are the little things in this life. The wealth that is going to be destroyed. Well, if we're not even obedient to God in terms of the wealth that he gives us now, then why would he give us heavenly riches in the life to come? Because if we're not faithful now, we're not going to be faithful then. And he's not going to do it. God blesses obedience, both in this life and ultimately in the life to come. And when we are faithful to give as God requires by offering him first our hearts, and then secondly, our tithes, according to what he requires, then God tells us here that he will open up the windows of heaven and he will pour down a blessing upon us. And then what will be the result of this? Malachi 3 verse 12. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. When God's people are being faithful to him, when they are enjoying and experiencing the blessed life, that God gives to them, then other people will come and they will see and they will proclaim that God loves us. They will bless the Lord as well. This happened in Genesis 21, verse 22. Genesis 21, 22 says, At that time Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his, of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I swear. Here, again, Abimelech and Philcol, these are not believers. 
And yet, they see and understand that God is with Abraham in everything that he does. They see the blessing of God upon Abraham, and then they want to make a treaty with him that they will do good to him, and he will do good to them. Did this not also happen in 1 Kings chapter 10, when the queen of the south came to see Solomon in all of his glory? And she proclaimed, How happy are your servants! How happy are those who sit here and who hear your wisdom. She saw the glory of his kingdom. She saw the blessing of God upon this nation and upon this people. And she pronounced the glory of God. Well, this is what will happen when we are faithful to God. God will bless us and other people will see it. And then they will know that our God is the Lord and they too will bless the Lord. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. But in order for this to happen, we have to be faithful to the Lord. And a part of our faithfulness to God has to do with the way that we view and the way that we use the wealth given to us by God. Our money will be either used for us or against us on the day of judgment. It will be used for us as evidence of our salvation, as evidence of our love for God, as evidence of our love for His people, as evidence of our faithfulness to God. Or it will be used against us on the day of judgment as evidence of our covetousness, as evidence of our greed, and as evidence of our disobedience to God. And what our money will testify about us on the day of judgment, it's already testifying these things even in this present day. So what does your wealth say about you? Does it prove that you are faithful to God or that you are unfaithful? Does it prove that you are generous or are you covetous? Are you obedient or are you disobedient? Are you giving to God what He requires? The tenth that God requires. If not then what should we do? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and then go and sin no more, and do what is right and pleasing in the sight of God. So let us walk in the ways of the Lord, and let us be faithful to Him, and let us entrust our souls to a faithful Creator, and our wealth to God, our very physical lives to God, knowing that God is able to provide all of our needs. And we don't need to short God in order to provide for our own lives in this present world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we thank you for how clearly, Lord, it teaches us your commandments. Lord, what it is that you expect of us. Lord, your word has pronounced, Lord, curses for disobedience and blessings for obedience. Lord, these things are so clearly stated that they are Lord, without any doubt, it's impossible for us to miss or misconstrue these things. Lord, the only reason that we would not live according to these commandments is because we don't fear you and we do not have faith. But Lord, we don't want that to be true of us. Lord, we want to be believers. We want to be those who believe every word of God. But if we're not giving to you as you require, then Lord, we prove that we are, that we are not yours. Lord, that we are sinning against you, that we are practicing sin. So, Lord, we pray that you would teach us, Lord, not only outwardly, but, Lord, in our inner being, 
Lord, in the secret heart. Lord, that you would teach these things and that you would write them upon our hearts. And Lord, that you would make us a generous people. Lord, a people who give to you. Lord, a people who are concerned with being faithful. Lord, a people who desire the spiritual blessings that come to us from heaven. Lord, more than we desire gold and silver and land and houses and cars and all the possessions of this world. Lord, we know that this world is passing away along with its lust. Lord, we know that this present world, Lord, every possession that we have, Lord, is going to be destroyed. Lord, either we will lose it when we die because we will not take it with us to the life to come, or it will be burned up with fire when Christ returns. So, Lord, why would we cling to these things? Why would we rob you, defraud you from what is your due for things that are going to be destroyed. So Lord, show us how foolish this is. Lord, that we might not be covetous people, that we might not be greedy for unjust gain, but rather that we would be generous and gracious with what you've given to us. And that Lord, we would prove ourselves to be obedient sons through the way that we give of the wealth that you've already given to us. Lord, we do ask that you would bless us. Lord, I pray for your blessing to be upon your people. Lord, knowing that there are many here, Lord, who are very generous and who are giving as you require. Lord, I pray that your blessing would come upon their homes, Lord, on their families, on their wives, their children. Lord, we pray that your blessing would be there in their prosperity. Lord, that you would give to them more and more, knowing that they have proven themselves faithful and they will continue to be faithful because the one who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. So, Lord, may your blessings be evident among us. Lord, that all nations will know that you love us and that you have blessed us. And, Lord, may we be a body, Lord, a church that you delight in. Lord, where your blessing is found. So, Lord, be with us and help us in these things. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.